الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Today inshallah we will be covering Surah Al-Nasr uh, Let's first go over the ayat let's, We will read the ayat first And then we will discuss the surah in detail أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفره إنه كان توابا Scholars say that this was the last complete surah to be revealed to the Prophet The last complete surah to be revealed. Meaning that there was no other surah in totality that was revealed after this surah. There were certain ayat that were revealed, but no complete surah. Just like some scholars say that uh, Surah Al-Fatiha was the first surah to be revealed, what they mean by that is the first complete surah. First complete surah. Otherwise, we know that there were ayat verses that were revealed before Surah Al-Fatiha. Take, for example, the very first revelation was Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. The first couple ayat of Surah Al-Alaq But Surah Al-Alaq in totality was not revealed Just the first five ayat were revealed Likewise, uh, um, here the complete Surah, Surah Al-Nasr was revealed in totality uh, And it was the last Surah to be revealed However, there were other ayat that were revealed after That's why they say, that this Mufassirin say uh, According to the more dominant opinion that the last and final verse to be revealed is in Surah Al-Baqarah. وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ In this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about a victory. Allah talks about His help, His assistance. And that how you, O Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will see people coming into the fold of Islam in large, large numbers. And when you see that coming, when you see that, now engage in more tasbih, engage in more hamd, engage in more istighfar. Okay, Allah Ta'ala says, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ When the help of Allah Ta'ala and victory comes, وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ And you see the people, يَدُخُلُونَ Enter. In the religion of Allah Afwaja Afwaj Meaning in large numbers Fasabbih Then exalt your Lord Fasabbih bihamdi rabbik Exalt your Lord with his praise Wastaghfir And seek his forgiveness Innahu kana tawwaba Indeed he is One who turns to his servants to understand this surah, we have to look at the background of it. 
and we have to look at the seerah. Just like last week when we looked at Surah Al-Lahab, likewise, in order to understand this surah, we have to actually look into the seerah. The Prophet وسلم, spent 13 years in Mecca Mukarramah as a prophet. He invited the people towards Islam, and we know that he faced a lot of difficulty. A lot of difficulty. Uh, we know that towards the end, uh, him, his family, his in fact, his whole tribe of Banu Hashim, Banu Muttalib, at one point had to uh, endure a boycott. Then finally, the Quraysh decided to assassinate the Prophet They came up with a plan. And this was what propelled and uh, uh, the Prophet ﷺ to then migrate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the command, Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an now migrate to Madina Munawwara. Before this, the permission had been given to the other believers. The permission had been given and slowly one by one, one by one, uh, the Muslims were migrating from Makkah Mukarramah to Medina. The Ansar in Medina Munawwara had taken uh, allegiance, had given their allegiance to the Prophet Bay'ah, that we are ready to support, we are ready to defend you just like we defend our families. And it's not easy to, to migrate, to leave your home for a, to another place is not easy. In fact, early on in Medina Munawwara, many of the Muhajirun became ill because the the uh, temperament, the temperature and the weather and the climate in Medina Munawwara was very different than in Makkah Mukarramah. So a lot of them had become ill. And Nabi Sallallahu made dua and Alhamdulillah, the Muhajirun were able to get settled in Medina Munawwara. Then in Medina Munawwara, it's, it wasn't as if you know, as soon as they got to Medina Munawwara, uh, everything is, is good now. In fact, many, many different challenges arose there as well. For example, the Prophet had to deal with the Jews. There were three different tribes of the Jews that were living uh, around Medina, and uh, they had full control of the economy there. Banu Nadir, Banu Qaynuqa, and Banu Quraidha. So Nabi Sallallahu had treaties made with the Jews and the Jewish tribes. Not only that, very soon after migration, the Battle of Badr took place, in which you had 313 Sahaba and Muslims fighting a thousand kuffar, well prepared. Whereas the Muslims, on the other hand, uh, didn't have uh, very much. Then, soon after that, the Battle of Uhud takes place. In the Battle of Uhud, the Muslims face, uh, a, 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 you know, some, they have some losses. Soon after that, Ahzab, the Battle of Ahzab takes place in which the Mushrikeen gather different tribes and they partner up with the Jews and they come to Medina Munawwara. They come to the doorsteps of Medina Munawwara. Up until that point, the Battle of uh, 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 Badr, for example, was not in Medina Munawwara, it was outside. Uhud, although it is within Medina Munawwara, was still at a mountain range. But now they have decided to come and try to attack the Muslims in Medina Munawwara, 
protect the houses that they're living in. So we know in the battle of Ahzab, then the Prophet وسلم, uh, he makes mashwara, and Salman al-Fasi radiallahu an gives the advice that back in Persia, one of the things that they used to, to do to defend their home was they would dig these huge trenches to stop the enemy. And so Medina Munawwara from the east and uh, from the eastern and the western side uh, is blocked by, by volcanic rocks. So nobody would come from the east or the west. And the southern area were uh, many date palm trees. And so the Quraysh, they then came from the north. They, even though Makkah Mukarramah is in the south, they traveled all the way to Medina and then they were, their plan was to attack the city from the north. And so that's where the trenches were, were that, that's where the large trench was dug by the Prophet and the Sahaba. It was not easy. It was not easy. If anyone reads the accounts from the time of, uh, from that time, you find that they were going through a lot of difficulty. Not only that, you have to deal, the Prophet and the Muslims were dealing with the hypocrites living in, in Medina Munawa, who were trying to, to play a game. That if the Muslims win, we'll side with the Muslims. If the Kuffar win, we'll side with the Kuffar. Their hearts are with the Kuffar, even though physically they're living in Medina Munawar. The Jews, on the other hand, also are breaking their treaty that they had with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So all this turmoil happening in the Battle of Ahzab. Then after this, in this battle to Allah, it wasn't really as a battle in which where they actually ended up fighting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, turned the kuffar away. A little after that, in the sixth year Hijri, you had the Prophet ﷺ goes with the Sahaba radiallahu to Makkah Mukarramah to make Umrah, but they're blocked, they're prevented from entering. Which leads into the Treaty of Hudaybiyah between the Muslims and the kuffar. At that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals, inna fatahna laka fatham mubina. And the Muslims are wondering, how is this a victory? Indeed, we have granted you for. Uh, indeed, we have granted you a clear victory. And some Muslims are wondering, how is this a clear victory? Because in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, many of the clauses that were made in this treaty were seemingly against the Muslims. For example, if a Muslim were to leave the fold of Islam and come to the uh, to the Quraysh in Mecca, he would be allowed to. But if anyone in Mecca, Mukarramah, were to accept Islam and were to go to Medina Munawwara, the Prophet would have to return them back. Things like these, these types of clauses were made very clearly were not in favor of the Muslims. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah, In fact, the idea behind it was at this point, the Quraysh are now looking at you as a rival. Before this, they didn't consider you to have any power. But now with a treaty, it means they're looking at you as equal rivals. And this was then what ends up leading into Fatih Makkah because the Quraysh were not able to uh, uh, keep up the, their side of the uh, treaty. And so this opened up the doors for Fatih Makkah. In the eighth year Hijri then, the Prophet Sallallahu with 10,000 approximately Sahaba he enters into Makkah Mukarramah. Some scholars say that in this ayah, this fath that is being spoken about is the Fathu Makkah. Is the Fathu Makkah. Others say, no, it's fath in general. 
Many, many lands all across started to accept Islam. The ninth year Hijrah afterwards is known as Amul Wufud. Wufud, Wuft, delegations. Delegations from all over Arabia were now coming in to Medina Munawwara and accepting Islam. In fact, the Fathu Makkah was one of the most decisive uh, uh, and most important events that have happened. In fact, all of these, any event that has happened, whether it's Badr, Uhud, uh, Ahzab, Hudaybiyah, Fathu Makkah, each one of these were very, very significant in their own ways. Fathu Makkah, however, it was very significant because it caused all the other tribes to now come into the fold of Islam. And the reason was because some, when the Prophet was born, the year the Prophet was born, before his birth, there was an incident that happened, which inshallah we'll speak about more in detail uh, when we come to Surah Al-Feel. That was the occasion of the Feel. Abraha with his army of elephants comes to Makkah Mukarramah and the Quraysh, they are forced to leave the precincts of the Kaaba. And at that time, we find that Allah Ta'ala orders these small birds to go and attack and the army of Abraha is decimated. This caused the rest of the Arab the Arabs around Arabia to recognize the position of not only Quraysh, but of also Mecca Mukarrama. This consolidated the power of Quraysh and it settled in the hearts of all the Arabs living around that this is the house of Allah. Any individual who comes and tries to violate the sanctity of Allah's house, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with him. As witnessed with Abraha and his army of elephants. In fact, this was such a significant occasion with Abraha and his elephants that that became the reference point afterwards. And if anybody wanted to, uh, uh, re, you know, talk about any in years, they would use that as the reference point. And you know, when did this happen? This happened five years after, you know, the Amul Feed. Oh, when was so-and-so born? He was born 10 years after Amul Feed. Oh, when, was, when did so-and-so die? He, he died a year before Amul Feed. That became the reference point for, you know, uh, their calculation of years at that point. That's what they would refer to. Just like today, there are certain, you know, very significant events that happened in our lifetime. Take, for example, the, the situation we're in, the pandemic we're in. This is a very significant event that is happening in the world. That, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, people will remember. Because, you know, oh, so-and-so was born the year, you know, the pandemic was spreading in the, in, in the world. You know, so like that, um, that was a very significant event that happened. And people remembered it. So even now at this point, uh, uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is in his 60s. So about 60 years have happened, but nonetheless, it is still in the minds of the Arabs of what happened to anybody who messed with Baytullah. So now they're awaiting 
They're waiting to see what happens. And now the prophets, they see what are the, the rest of the Arab tribes around this area? What are they witnessing? What are they seeing? They're seeing constant conflict between the Muslims and the Quraysh. You have the Battle of Badr. You have the Battle of Uhud. You have Ahzab. You have all these different, different events that are happening. Finally now, Fatu Makkah, the Prophet ﷺ comes with, an, with Muslims, 10,000 in number. What will happen? Their idea was that if, if the Prophet ﷺ is true, if the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is right, is as he rightfully claims, he is a prophet of Allah, and the Muslims are on haq, then nothing will happen to them. And if na'udhu billah, he's an imposter, then Allah subhanahu wa taala will take that's take care of him, and that's what that was in their minds. They're all waiting to see what happens. So you have this on the one hand, and then on top of that, you have the uh, the authority of Quraysh. Quraysh's power was consolidated because of the event of. Of, uh, of Abraha with the elephants. Everybody now is waiting to see what Quraysh do as well. So now when Fatu Makkah happens, when Nabi Sassim comes into Makkah Mukarramah and Quraysh submit, many of them accept Islam. Makkah comes into the power of, 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 of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Muslims. Now the rest of the Arab world knows that he is a true prophet of Allah. Prophet is a true prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Muslims are on haq. Now when they see this, many, many now come to Medina Munawa. Many of them come to Medina Munawa. It, it comes in some narrations that from Yemen, hundreds of people accepted Islam. Many of them came to Medina Munawara and accept Islam there, met the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Different, different regions. And at this point now, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who has been training some of the closest Sahaba, Radiallahu Anhum, who have been learning and studying under the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, some of them, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam starts to send to different, different regions, different, different areas to go teach the people. For example, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, Radiallahu Anhum, is sent to, the, to Yemen. And there he teaches the people. And Nabi Sallallahu advises Mu'adh ibn Jabal on how to, to teach the people. This surah, likewise, it foreshadows the passing away of the Prophet Because essentially this surah is saying that your responsibility is done. This is why it comes in some narrations in Tafsir al-Qurtubi, it's mentioned that one time the Prophet ﷺ recited this surah uh, among the Sahaba radiallahu anhum when it was revealed. And many of the Sahaba that were sitting were, were smiling and were very happy. Right? Because it, it talked about victory, it talked about help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Abbas radiallahu anhu, he was in tears. The Prophet ﷺ asked, oh my uncle, why are you in tears? He said that it means that your time is coming to an end soon. Nabi Sallallahu said yes. In fact, one time, Umar radiallahu an during his khilafah, he used to call Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma to mashwara. Imagine 
uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu at this time is hardly 20 years old, maybe around 20. Not even perhaps. He was not, not even 20 perhaps around this, at this time. And Umar radiallahu anhu, when he is making mashura with the senior sahaba, some of the senior sahaba object. They say, why are you bringing him into our mashura when he is the same age as some of our own children? Umar radiallahu says because of his knowledge. He says, says, okay, I'll show you why. And so when he calls Ibn Abbas radiallahu he asks him, he says, what, do you, what is your understanding of the surah إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ he asked the Sahaba, the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, say, was talking about the victory that Allah Ta'ala is, is giving the believers and how, uh, and his, his help and his assistance and how large, large groups of people will be coming into the fold of Islam. Then he turns to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu and he asks, what is your understanding of this surah? He says, this is telling us of the passing away of the Prophet that his, his death is coming near. And Umar radiallahu anhu says, this is why. So this is exactly what I had in my mind when this surah was revealed. And it comes in some narrations that when this surah was revealed, Umar was also one of those individuals that was in tears. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordered the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa O Messenger of Allah, deliver whatever has been revealed to you. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he, his day and night work was to deliver whatever Allah Ta'ala had revealed unto him. What? If you don't do this, then you have not fulfilled, you have not delivered the message. You have not fulfilled your responsibility. This is why Aisha radiallahu anha also mentions in a hadith that Anyone who tells you, I paraphrase, anyone who says that the Prophet ﷺ has not delivered, his, he, he hid some knowledge, they're, they're, they're lying. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the Prophet ﷺ to deliver the message. Whatever Allah willed, whatever Allah intended to be delivered has been delivered to the people. Ya Now with this ayah, with this surah, it's saying what? Victory has come to you. Help of Allah has come to you. People are coming in the fold of Islam now in large, large numbers. So now what do you do? Now exalt your Lord with his praise and seek forgiveness. From here, we learn a very, very important principle. And that is that we, when we are done with any action, any act of ibadah, we should send, spend some time afterwards doing the tasbih of Allah, doing the hamd of Allah, and doing istighfar. It comes in narration that Aisha radiallahu anha mentions in one place that after the surah was revealed, مَا صَلَّى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ صَلَاةً بَعْدَ أَنْ نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِ سُورَةُ إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Subhanaka, Rabbana, Allahumma 
Nabi Sallallahu after the surah was revealed, Nabi Sallallahu did not pray any prayer except that he would say after it, Subhanaka Rabbana wa bihamdika Allahumma Glory be to you, exalted be you, O my Lord, O our Lord, and uh, praise be to you, O Allah, I seek your forgiveness. One of the question, one question that may arise is what does it mean for the Prophet to seek forgiveness? Aren't all of the Prophet sins forgiven? Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, uh, um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven all past, present sins. In fact, we know that a prophet uh, uh, is ma'asum. He doesn't even commit a sin. So what does that even mean? Recognize that a prophet, a prophet, any prophet, he is ma'asum. Prophets are the only individuals that cannot commit sins. And that is in, for the protection of the message. If a prophet, hypothetically speaking, were to commit a sin, it would put questions in the minds of those to whom the prophet is delivering the message. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made all prophets in, infallible, that they cannot commit a sin. However, mistakes can happen. And that's why anytime there was anything that happened that you see that's questionable, perhaps from a prophet, recognize that as a mistake. It is not a sin. It is a mistake. And the idea is when a person's status and when a person has reached a, a high level, then even their small shortcomings to them seem to be like sins, even though there may be mistakes. And our expectations, our expectation from people who have a high standing is also greater, right? For example, if within a household, let's say you have um, a number of children, the expectation, the responsibility that is put on the shoulders of the oldest of them, the eldest is going to be much different than what is expected from the youngest. If the eldest were to do something that the youngest would do. The eldest would be rebuked. But the same thing if the youngest were to do may not be uh, taken as severely. Why? Because you have a higher expectation. This is why from Anbiya والسلام, for them, even when they, if they were to commit a mistake, they would consider that very serious for themselves. That's why they would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In one hadith, the Prophet says that uh, I seek forgiveness from Allah 70 times, in a day. In one narration, a hundred times in the day I seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But nonetheless, this teaches us a great lesson. And that is anytime we complete any ibadah, we should seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should uh, seek his forgiveness. We find the same example of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam that when uh, he, him and Ismail alayhi salam were rebuilding the Kaaba, after they rebuilt the Kaaba, what does Ibrahim alayhi salam say? وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلِ He makes dua, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ 
O oh, our Lord, accept this from us. Then what does he say? He makes further dua. رَبَّنَا وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنِ لَكَ وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ وَأَرِنَا مَنَاسِكَنَا وَتُبَ عَلَيْنَا وَتُبَ عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ And after making the rest of the dua, he says, O oh Allah, forgive us. O oh Allah, forgive us. Indeed, you are the all-forgiving. You are the one who's always forgiving. Here also the word, إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابَ is used. Tawab, Taba Yatubu in Arabic literally means one who goes back often. Who often goes back. We use the word Tawbah when in relation to us, our relationship to Allah, Tawbah means to go back to Allah, to ask Allah for forgiveness. And from Allah's perspective, Tawab is, yani Allah Ta'ala is often showering His mercy, showering His blessings. In this case too, you see the blessings of Allah Ta'ala on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In another surah, Allah Ta'ala says, As far as the blessing of your Lord, proclaim it. So many blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu The greatest blessing being that Nabi Sallallahu is a messenger of Allah. The final messenger of Allah on whom the Quran is revealed. For this ummah, one of the greatest blessings is the, having the Prophet Sallallahu being a, a, from the ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the istighfar in relation to the Prophet ﷺ was in fact a manifestation of his perfect abdiyat, was a manifestation of his perfect servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what we should learn from this surah as well. That's what we should learn from this surah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has so many blessings that Allah ta'ala has given us. And there's so many things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly showers us with that our ibadah that we should remind ourselves of those blessings of Allah Ta'ala and we should turn to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala with ibadah with, the, with worshipping Him and when we worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala no doubt our actions our worship is going to have certain deficiencies and that's why we will then do tasbih of Allah and seek, seek forgiveness from Allah. Do istighfar. So one of the reasons why we're taught that after you pray the salat, you say astaghfirullah three times. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Why? Because any deficiency that may have occurred in our prayer, Ya Allah, we're asking that you forgive that deficiency. Even though that prayer is, is for Allah Ta'ala, that any deficiency, sometimes it happens our mind is diverted or our concentration goes away. We start thinking about something else or maybe we do something wrong. So what do we do? We seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the previous, the next surah that we will be covering is Surah Al-Kafirun. And you know, one of the connections between Surah Al-Kafirun, Surah Al-Nasr and Surah Al-Lahab is that in Surah Al-Kafirun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the, the conflict between the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Mushrikeen of Quraysh. And the Quraysh are going to constantly, you know, come to the Prophet Sallallahu with different, different schemes, different ideas. That, hey, why don't you worship us? Why don't you worship our gods one day? We'll worship your God one day. And at the end, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala proclaimed what? 
لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَالْيَدِينَ We're not, we are people who worship on Allah. That is a reality that does not change. That is the truth. We're not going to, for the sake of unity with you, we're not going to, Uh, we're we're not going to forego the truth that we recognize. Okay, we're not going to forego the truth that we recognize just for the sake of unity with you. This is actually something inshallah we'll dis discuss in the next surah. Right? Sometimes in order for the sake of unity, what do we do? We sometimes forego our teachings. We we forego some of our beliefs. So Allah Ta'ala taught us what? لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَالْيَدِينَ No, you want, to, you want to continue worshiping your gods? Fine. But we will not. We will not forego our belief system. Then anyone who accepts Islam, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ This is the result. Allah Ta'ala's help, Allah Ta'ala's assistance is with that individual. And anyone who disbelieves, well then you have Suratul Lahab to teach you. This is... This is your this is the path that you have set out for yourself. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to worship him as true abs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah, next week we will go over Suratul Kafirun. سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك